to Matthew chapter 15, and as you're doing so, let me uh, mention again this coming Saturday, I misspoke, it's uh, not October, obviously, it's November the, uh, this Saturday, so join us then, all of you would like to participate in the training. If you've not been before, you're welcome to come uh, and join us uh, as well. Matthew chapter 15, and we're picking up this morning in verse 21, all the way down through verse 28. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Let me read these verses in your hearing. Um, set them in your mind before we begin the exposition of them for our edification. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. First title for these verses, I use this, A Faith That Wouldn't Be Denied. A Faith That Wouldn't Be Denied. In fact, this woman's faith among people in the New Testament stands out. It stands out because it's like an oasis in the desert. You may recall that our Lord Jesus had been confronted by religious Jews who had no faith in him at all. Others who would follow him and even have the title disciple appended to them in the New Testament professed faith, but it was not genuine faith. After a while, his teaching was too difficult for them, and they said, we can't take this, and they turned away from him. And then his disciples had demonstrated little faith. Now, as we've read, an unnamed Gentile woman exhibits remarkable faith in him, a faith that was tenacious and irrepressible, a faith that would not be denied its request. Her faith was displayed during a very difficult time in her life. It was a situation in which many of us have never confronted, perhaps never will. But we can learn some lessons about faith from this woman who was faith. Field. And we're going to call the first portion of this, the first couple of verses in this narrative, the situation. The situation. That's our heading. Little did this lady know that Jesus would be coming her way. Our Lord, in fact, left Galilee. That's what it means in the first part of the verse, verse 21, when he went away from there. Galilee, where there were hostilities. It would be as he got away a time of refreshment were his disciples, a time of rest for them and time alone with them that he might instruct them as he would be away from all that was going on there in Israel's territory. Therefore, his journey into the district of Tyre and Sidon wasn't intended for public ministry. In fact, Mark chapter 7, verse 24 tells us he entered into a house 
He did not want people to know that he was there. Yet, Jesus knew he had a divine appointment with a woman who was in desperate need of his ministry. Do understand that Jesus never did anything just to do something. He did things according to the will of God the Father. So he's there in that land and region. You see it there in verse 21, Tyre and Sidon. This was Gentile territory. The two cities were 20 miles apart, located on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Their location is now what is known as southern Lebanon. Those two cities were major centers of worship for the fertility goddess Astarte, known in the Old Testament by the name of Ashtaroth. So these cities were given over to idolatry. And from that land, from that region, this woman comes to Jesus. Now you see in verse 22, it says, And a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Let's just stop there for a moment because I need to share something with you. What this verse in this very good translation doesn't tell us is that it reads this way in the Greek, Behold, a Canaanite woman. The word behold is there in the original language. But it's not translated by the New American Standard Bible, which I've said is a good uh, translation. And the word is important. I bring this out because it is that. It's significant. That word behold points to the extraordinary nature of the story reported here by Matthew. That's why Matthew said, behold, look, pay attention to this. Here comes a Canaanite woman, a descendant of the ancient enemies of Israel. Remember in the Old Testament, the Canaanites were to be wiped out. Israel was to get rid of them because of their, their sinfulness. They were a cancer on the human race, but Israel, in their lack of faith and commitment, didn't do that. Here's a woman all these centuries later, a Canaanite. She comes. In fact, Mark's account elaborates on her calling her a Syrophoenician woman. That word, Syrophoenician, described the people from this area at the time. Remember, Phoenicia had been captured by the Roman general Pompey, and that's why it was there. He was a Syrian. Uh, it was a Syrian, Syrians as well involved in 65 B.C. Now, this woman had everything against her from the standpoint of the Jews. First, she was a Gentile. Second, she was a woman, thus she was inferior to a man. Third, she came from a region engulfed in idol worship. Now you can see why Matthew writes in the original, Behold, this woman, this woman who is a Gentile, this woman who's inferior to a man, this woman who was involved in idol worship or an area that was involved in idol worship, she came to Jesus. Pay attention to this. This woman was born and reared in religious idolatry. No doubt she had sought help from her deities. They couldn't help her because they don't exist. It's the problem of idols, you know. They may have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have arms, but they can't do anything. 
because they do not exist. There's no reality to a idol. Now, this lady had heard about Jesus. You know, the news of his miraculous power had spread. And she sought him out. And here he was in her territory, in territory of the Gentiles. We see her faith. The woman placed her faith in the right object. That's why she said, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. We don't want to overlook that. See, she, she, she placed her faith in the right person. She did not have some faith in faith. Amen. None of that nonsense. Or some people say, I just believe. You say, you just believe what? Her faith was in the person and power of Jesus. She knew who he was and what he could do. And she says to him, have mercy on me. It was personal. That's why she said me. You say, how, how, how could she say, have mercy on me? And when is her child who is cruelly oppressed by a demon? Simple. Her child, whatever affected her child, affected her. And she asked for mercy. Mercy from Jesus. Mercy, by definition, is something undeserved. No one is entitled to mercy. Christians are saved according to God's mercy. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. We were not entitled to saving mercy. We could not earn it. We did not deserve it. We did not deserve the mercy of salvation. All the time, when you think about your salvation, think about how God had mercy on you. There's nothing about you that he should have had mercy on you except that you needed mercy. You were miserable in your sin, and what did he do? He came and delivered you from your sin because he had mercy on you. Keep that in mind. In fact, Romans chapter 9, verse 23, calls us vessels of mercy. That's one of my favorite descriptions of a Christian, a vessel of mercy. That's what I am. That's what you are if you're a child of God. You're a vessel of mercy because God had mercy on you. And you need to know his mercy is sovereignly dispensed. We don't control it. We can ask for it, but it's up to him, the sovereign one, to dispense mercy. God said that in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Now, there's a tax collector. He's a penitent tax collector. His story is recalled by Jesus or the parable, Luke 18, verse 13. He knew that God did not owe him mercy, but he asked for it. He said, beating his breast, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
The reason I ask for your mercy is because I'm a sinner. He didn't say I'm somebody. He didn't say I, I deserve it. He just said I'm the sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. A righteous man. The implication being that he received the mercy that he desired because God is a God of mercy. Now this mother in our story here, the mother of the demonized girl, recognized that Jesus didn't owe her anything. Her, her daughter was suffering there was no hope for her unless Jesus had mercy on this child. We can only imagine the havoc wreaked in their home and personalized by the demon's control of this child. Every day it was the same. There was no peace. There was no rest. No normalcy to their lives as they lived day to day with a malevolent spirit there you talking about drama? This was drama. Can you imagine your helpless little child subjected to a vicious, evil, unclean, malevolent spirit day in and day out, and you as a parent can't do anything about it? She came to Jesus. She came in faith to him. He was her last resort. If he did not hear her, if he did not respond to her and deliver their, her daughter, all hope was lost. Her hope was in him. Her faith was in him. You see, she had her faith in the right person. You notice it says in verse 22, have mercy on me, Lord. This was more than respectful address. It's more than saying, have mercy on me, sir. No, it's Lord. This was a recognition of his power, a recognition of his omnipotence. She recognized who he is in terms of his power, that he could help her because of his divine power. She also recognized his person. You see it there in the verse? Son of David. Son of David. This desperate mother believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Son of David is a title for Messiah. Jews call the Messiah the Son of David. The Son of David is a descendant of King David. The, the, the covenant that God made with him that there would be one who would come from his loins who would have an eternal king, a kingdom, and sit on an eternal throne. And that's Messiah, and that's none other than Jesus the Christ. And this is a Gentile woman. She grasped a truth that a lot of Jews didn't and still don't. That Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. This Gentile woman had heard of Messiah from Jews. That's where she got it. That he would perform mighty miracles. Doubtless this woman had some, heard some Jews call him son of David. Or is this the son of David? 
And then some said, this Jesus has been performing miracles like the son of David when he comes. Now this woman recognized all that and believed it. This woman, in fact, deduced from his miraculous healings of others and deliverances of others from demon possession something about Jesus. She recognized his goodness. His goodness. All that was percolating in her mind. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson wrote, quote, Mercy is the result and effect of God's goodness. It is indeed. The mercy of God is His goodness displayed. God had mercy on us as believers. He was expressing His goodness to us to the highest degree. Now, this woman, knowing all this, is there any wonder that she cried out to Jesus? I believe this woman had come to saving faith. I believe she turned away from her idols. She recognized that they were utterly useless. She had embraced the Lord. She turned from her sin. She was like the Thessalonians. Remember the Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, they turned from idols to serve the living God and wait for His Son from heaven. This woman had faith, and it wasn't accidental. These things that she had heard, I believe it was the God the Father was drawing her to faith in Jesus Christ. And she comes and says, My daughter is... It's cruelly demon-possessed. Now, that's the situation. Next point, next heading is the silence. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. <laughs> this mother repeatedly announced her plea for mercy to the merciful one, yet was met with Silence. Deafening silence. And you know, whenever Jesus, you, you read the Gospels and think about it, when he was approached with needs, his response was almost immediate, if not immediate. Here, however, he did not utter a word to this woman. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, he was not being rude, he was not being indifferent. We know those aren't the realities because we know Jesus. We know what he is like. He is compassionate. Throughout the Gospels, we see his compassion displayed. We understand he meets needs. He feels compassion when people are hungry, he wants to feed them. When they come with their diseases and their limbs missing and all of that, what does he do? He heals them. But here he's silent. The disciples are trying to figure out, uh, Lord, Notice in the verse. They came and implored him, saying, send her away. You know what they're doing? They're saying, would you just simply heal, give this woman what she wants, heal her daughter so she can leave us and quit shouting at us? She's annoying us. Heal her so she'll go away. But the Lord is silent. And I believe it's operating on two levels. His silence is with regard to the matter of faith. 
He wanted to show the disciples something. He was teaching them something, too. They need a lesson. He was training them. I don't think this is part of the curriculum. He was wanting to train them about genuine faith in his character. So this woman would be an exhibit of great faith. What it looked like. Genuine faith is great. Second, when Jesus didn't answer her, first part of verse 23, he erected the barrier of silence. Not to see if she had faith. He knew that she'd had faith. We know that because the Bible says in John chapter 2, verse 25, that he knows what's in men. He knows what's in people. His omniscience is such that he knows everything. So he knew where this woman was coming from. He wasn't guessing. He didn't need to see if she had the faith to believe. He already knew that. What Jesus wanted, he wanted her to display the depth of her faith, the breadth of her faith, the greatness of her faith what our Lord was doing. So when we hear, see the silence here, we understand that he, he's up to something. So we've seen the situation. We've seen the silence. The next thing, the next heading, the selectivity. The selectivity. Verse 24. <laughs> but he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Jesus breaks his silence, it is to erect another barrier. He addresses the disciples directly. That's who he's talking to when he says that. But he talks to the woman indirectly. She no doubt was in earshot. She could hear him say that to the disciples. You know, I wasn't sent to those Gentiles. I'm, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That word lost, by the way, let me explain. It means the forfeiture of everything good. The forfeiture of everything good, spiritually speaking. When a person is lost, they have forfeited everything that's good that it comes from God. Salvation and all the benefits that flow from it. People who are lost are perishing people. They're headed to destruction, headed to damnation. That's what lostness means. That's what it means to perish. If a person is unsaved, they're lost, they're separated from God, far from him, they have nothing of worth or value, they're ruined. And Jesus is saying, I've come to the, on a mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Father sent me. He sent me. Notice, I was sent only. Who sent him? God the Father. So now, why was Jesus telling these men this? He was letting them know that the plan of redemption for Israel had not been altered. Though he's in Gentile territory, though here's a Gentile asking for his help, the plan of redemption for Israel was still on track. Jesus still called um, sinners to repentance from the nation. He wasn't abandoning them, believe them in their sin. In fact, um, in the book of Acts, Peter, in his second sermon, he helps us understand this a little better. Acts chapter 3, verse 26, you may listen or turn there, whatever the case may be. Listen if you don't turn. It says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, for you first. And Peter's preaching to his fellow Jews. 
God raised up his servant, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. First thing we see in this verse is that Israel has the priority of the gospel message. Another thing we see is to really be blessed is to be turned away from wickedness, repentance. You know, that's the best blessing there is. When God turns a person away from their sin and to faith in Jesus Christ, that is the zenith of blessing. Because that's eternal. All other blessings in this life, they are, by definition, temporal. You're going to leave them all behind. They're going to cremate you or put you in a box, and you're going to leave your stuff right here. I was watching something about the, um, the, 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 the um, rulers of Egypt, the pharaohs. They built these big... Um, uh, pyramids, which were tombs, and they would have a place to have uh, the the Pharaoh's stuff. So when he went into the the next life, he could take it with him. Funny thing, his stuff was still here. <laughs> I said, I said, do y'all not see that how dumb that is? All his stuff still here. Four thousand years later, folk, look at his stuff. <laughs> the bizarreness of the fallen mind even had a little spot in the a little square just like that you know what that square was for so the pharaoh when he died he could escape through it I said, really <laughs> do understand the greatest blessing that anyone could ever have in this life is salvation and when salvation is genuine a person turns from their sin there's no such thing as a saved person who is not changed with re regard to their sin. Turn from your wicked ways. It's the biggest blessing there is. Now, here, up the page, verse 25. We've seen Israel as a priority. But the Gentiles are not left out. Verse 25, it says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, now get this, earth shall be blessed. Gentiles, if you're a child of God here this morning, do understand that when God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees and he talked to him, made a covenant with him, he said, listen, Abraham, not only are you going to be blessed, but all the family of the earth is going to be blessed. Everybody, Jew and Gentile, and blessing here is salvation. So Jesus said, I've, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That that has not been terminated. So keep that in mind. The Jews had the priority. God intended to save the Gentiles all along. And if you're a non-Jew sitting in here under the sound of my voice, guess what? And if you're a Christian, guess what? That includes you. to you. Now, you would think, after hearing that, the woman would think, well, uh, he sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I guess that excludes me. She could have thought that. She obviously did not. The next point is the seizure. 
she seized on opportunity. The preceding barriers did not put the woman off. Didn't stop her. She persisted. Verse 25, she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Those two words, bow down, uh, translates the Greek proskuneo. And it's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as worship. Worship includes reverence. And this woman's worship includes reverence. She came with persistence and faith and demonstrated her reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, she said, I don't know how many times she said it, but again, Lord, help me. Oh, the Lord Jesus is remarkable. He's in control of this situation. He's going to draw out the, this great faith for everybody to see from the, back then and for us this very morning. Look what he does. In verse 26, he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oops. Jesus responded by using an analogy, of course, and he again underscores the priority of Israel over the Gentiles. The children in the analogy are the Jews. The dogs, you. You Gentiles, that's what I'm saying. Dogs. Canarion is the word translated here. There's another word for a different kind of dog. Uh, feral dogs, wild scavenger dogs would be out on the streets. Not this. This is Canarion. This is a little pet dog. It's your little pet dog, Baxter. Be his name. He's hanging around the table. And the master, you know what he'll do. Here's a little dog, and he's sitting there eating, and he says, you need a matzo ball? Here you, here you go. <laughs> That's the picture. There's a pet in the family. You gotta feed him. Give him the crumbs. Hmm. So Jesus has that barrier, but ha, look what she what happens. She seizes on that analogy with insight given to her by her informing faith. But she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She knows she is not a guest at the master's table. She knows that she is not a Jew. She recognizes her place as a Gentile. But the woman says, yeah, Lord, I know, but just give me the crumbs. Give me the crumbs of your mercy. Give me the crumbs of your power. That's sufficient. It's what Jesus wanted to hear. That's why he responds as he does. Verse 28. Oh, woman. That ejaculation, oh, that's his emotion. Oh, woman, your faith is great. 
Jesus describes her faith as great for a couple of reasons with her. One, she had less spiritual light or knowledge than the Jews. Think about it. She didn't grow up here in the Old Testament in the synagogue. She wasn't there on the Sabbath. She was in, grew up in idolatry. So she didn't read the Old Testament, hear the Old Testament read, uh, the Torah, the historical books, and all the rest. She didn't hear all that. She didn't have access to the temple service, the priesthood, the sacrificial system as the Jews. She wasn't a part of the covenant of the Jews. She didn't have any of that. She grew up in a pagan culture that had little revelation of the true knowledge of God. But what she did have, she exercised it without wavering. That's why Jesus said, Oh, woman, your faith is great. This woman, in fact, helped prove the reality of um, the truthfulness of Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty one, when he said woe to you Chorazin woe to you Bethsaida for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred to you they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes Jesus upbraided those, those cities that didn't believe in him he said in those cities they had access to the, what you had access to the light you had they would repent this woman said see what I did have I repented and Jews who had far more of an advantage refused. Now, notice Jesus says, it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. There is the uh, parallel account in Mark's gospel. He adds something here. Mark chapter 7 verse 29 it says and he said to her because of this answer the demon has gone out of your daughter gone out of the daughter gone out complete cure that very moment Jesus' power was omnipresent. He healed the child at a distance. His control of the spiritual realm was without boundaries. From that very moment, he willed the deliverance of that child, and it happened. And in verse 30 of Mark 7, it says, and going back to her home, stop at the comma first. She believed Jesus. That's why she was going home. She didn't say, Lord, how do I know? She believed his word and headed home and she found the child lying on the bed the demon having left. Why was that kid lying on the bed? Resting. I don't suppose anybody in this place has ever had to fight a demon. It's tiring, you know. This child finally had some rest and some peace. And her mother had her child back. 
She believed that Jesus could do it. She believed rightly. Jesus did it. This woman's faith was characterized by humility, by persistence, by reverence, and placed in the right object. Her daughter experienced deliverance from a demonic power. She sought the Lord, and the Lord delivered her child. If you're here this morning and you're unsaved, you need to seek the Lord too. He is in the business of delivering people. He'll deliver you from the greatest need you have, your bondage to the control of sin. He will set you free. You may serve and honor him and have the rest of salvation, salvation rest. He'll give you the mercy of salvation if you ask him. He's in the business of doing that. Praise his holy name. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, how we thank you and bless you and praise you for your mighty, wonderful works. We marvel at your goodness. We marvel at your power. We marvel that you sent your Son to destroy the works of the devil. You accomplished the greatest victory of all on the cross, bearing our sin and paying it in full being raised from the dead the third day with all power in heaven and earth in his hands, now sitting at your right hand, a redemption accomplished, and sinners can call on you, and you will dispense salvation from your throne of mercy and save sinners. Lord, I pray for those in this room who qualify because they're sinners for salvation. You save them pray for the believers in this room that you deepen our love and admiration for the Lord Jesus Christ. See his wisdom, his goodness afresh, and love him even more. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.